Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we like to do that through the spaces of sports, music, comedy, the pastoral lane, books, great testimonies, life stories, the list goes on and on. And I know for some of our older crowd, particularly today, some folks are going to be really excited that we've got Will Graham. I don't know how many titles I can attach to his name. You don't Um, need any. (laughs) That's right. Franklin Graham's son, Billy Graham's grandson, host champion of the Cove, one of my favorite places in the world, motorcycle enthusiast. Is that a fair title? You like that one probably? Yeah, I do. I do. I grew up riding motorcycles, still riding motorcycles. Eric did not realize it that I had a chance. Eric's your assistant who's been great. He uh, did not know that I had a chance to see you in, uh, in Montana and in Hamilton uh, several years ago. You did, I think, about three days worth of stuff. You had Aaron Schust. You had the afters with you. And when you came out the one night I was there and introduced yourself, you went on and on and on about the motorcycles you got to ride around in and uh, had a lot of fun. And you looked more alive than I think any person I've ever seen probably looked in that moment talking about it. We were in only in Hamilton one day, but we had been doing two other cities as well. We were three days each of those. Hamilton is where I got an invitation years ago. And so we decided to honor them. It was too small of a place where I would do normally a, like a, an evangelistic outreach. It's, it's pretty small. And so, uh, but we wanted to honor their, it was their reason why we were all in Montana anyway. So we did one night there. That's the one night you, you would come out, but uh, I'd been riding my motorcycle. I shipped it out there. Mm-hmm. Because I had just come from somewhere else, so I didn't have time to ride it out there because it would take about four days to ride. And so I sent it. I sent someone else to drive it. We we're going to need a car, rental car anyway if I flew. So we just drove a car out there, took our motorcycles, then we just rode around between all the cities. Uh, we did Helena, then we went to Hamilton, then we did Great Falls. And uh, so I was doing a lot of riding that time. It was a lot of fun. Beautiful state to ride in. Oh my goodness! How many? How many? Uh, how many of you were riding together? Uh, I had my brother with me. Uh, mm-hmm. He had just turned 40. His name's Edward. Edward, uh, he's the youngest of us, of the boys. I'm the oldest. I have a, we have a middle brother. But Edward, uh, me, and a friend named Mark Christian. Mark Christian's a worship pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina, at First Baptist. And uh, he's one of my best friends. He does a lot of work with me evangelizing. So he's, he rides a motorcycle. So we shipped them all out there. And then once we got out there, we unloaded them, drove everywhere else in Montana. Load them back. And then we drove to Denver loaded them up wow, and then uh, shipped them back and we flew home. <laughs> I remember that night specifically as you were telling the crowd about that. And I felt like this feels like a John Eldridge thing. Like he should be hanging out with John Eldridge and his sons and their buddies. Like they made that one movie about that. And I thought that's what this feels like. And in Montana, did you get the chance to go through uh, Flathead Lake at all? Yeah, I did. Uh, <sighs> a buddy of mine's a pastor up in that area. So I went to go buy up and and uh, see him in that area. So uh, just to visit, spend the night and 
get back on the road. So sometimes my wife and I like to, um, when we get up in the morning for spending time with the Lord, doing whatever we're doing, if we get a chance, she makes her tea, I make coffee, and we'll put on our big screen TV like an image or something or a video. That YouTube has bunches of them for 10 hours, Ireland, you name it. I love finding something, a flathead lake. That is such a gorgeous, gorgeous area. It is a very pretty place. I haven't found a really ugly place of Montana. Yeah. But I'm sure there, I'm sure someone in Montana said, no, I know a place. But. Well, Indian Casino, some of those Indian casinos, if you went inside some of those, I bet they may not be quite yeah, so I won't pretty. be going in those. That's right. So here's what's funny. I, real quick note about your brother. So um, when I was in the room, I was initially in the overflow. I think they maybe had two overflow sections in Hamilton at the church you spoke at. And mm-hmm. I told my two buddies with well, this, we, we didn't even know you were going to be there. We were there for a father-son trip. So we had our sons there, or no, this was a men's trip. And I saw on, uh, there in Hamilton, there's a place called Naps, great yeah. burger joint. And, That's it, right. and it said it advertised that you were going to be there like two days later. Well, yeah. I'm not leading a trip. I'm a follower, but I'm like, I got to figure out how we're doing this. So I waited. That day came. We ended the day early. I went up to my buddy Chris and said, look, you can tell me no. I'm not the leader. But here's what's going on tonight in Hamilton. We were about half hour away. Is there any way I can do this? He goes, as long as you guys aren't back too late, as long as you're up for everything we're doing tomorrow, you can go. So I took two of my buddies. I'm in the overflow room. I'm not content. I'm like, I'm getting in that other room. So we maneuver over there. I go over first. I tell them where I am. They go and sit down. It was pretty tight. Sardines in there. I'm like, I'm standing up. I go in the back stage, right, all the way in the back. I'm standing by this guy. and I'm looking at this guy next to me. I'm like, this dude looks like he should be in The Bachelor. I don't know if he's married or not, but this guy's put together. He's good looking. I'm like, who is this guy? You know who it was? It was your brother. I'm standing next to your brother that evening, and I didn't realize it till later, but I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's Will's brother, Edward, who uh, I found out last time I was in uh, Asheville that he's on the board for um, uh, Montreat. He's on the board at Montreat College. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a beautiful campus. He he turned 40 while we were in Hamilton on that trip. So he just turned 40 years old. So instead of spending 40 with his, uh, his family, his wife. So he is taken, you know, he he's married. So no girls don't, don't go after him. But (laughs) um, he's, uh, he's taken, but uh, while we were out there, he, he turned 40. So we had a little bit of a party for him, uh, a birthday party for him while we're on the road. Uh, But it was good. That was the first time that he and I really got to ride. Uh, together That's outside so cool. of the state of North Carolina, we've done a little bit in North Georgia, but uh, but to go out there and we, we drove. I mean, we just. I mean, some of those days that we drove were uh, about ten hours. I oh, mean, wow. ten hour days. That's a that's a long time on a motorcycle. Sure, and, but we had a lot of fun, a lot of good memories. I hope to do it again sometime. I'm sure you do. Well, let's just cut to the chase. Well, tell us, how did you come to Jesus? I mean, I know some of us, it's easy sometimes to think, and we know it's not true that you grow up in a Christian home or Billy Graham's your grandson, so you're kind of born a Christian. And we know that's not true. So what's your three-minute testimony? Yeah, it, basically, uh, it was uh, I was too old for children's church anymore. So I had to go to grown-up church, all right? that's what. So I had to go to grown-up church. And I was really bummed because they had, you know, they used to have snacks yeah. in the children's church. Now I couldn't do it, so I had to go sit in the grown-up church. And lo and behold, on that day, they were having communion. I was like, man, they got snacks too. This is great. I didn't know what communion was. I, I, I literally thought it was just adult snacks. Sure. And so, um, you know, as it came around, I, I, and I couldn't forget why everybody was just getting a pinch. This is where we <laughs> broke the loaf. Yep. And then you take a pinch, you pass the loaves around and you, you take a pinch out. I was like, why are they taking a pinch? I'm taking like a half. 
<laughs> you know, I'm going to take half of it. And uh, it, when it came by, my dad kind of slapped me on the hand, not in a mean way, but you know, sure. uh, you know, don't do it. And so I just figured he thought I was going to spill the grape juice or drop my bread on the carpet. And we had carpet in the church at the time. And, uh, and so I didn't take communion and I just thought, like I said, just, I thought I was going to drop it on the floor and dad wouldn't let me. So didn't think much of it. We go home, we go, or we go out to eat and we go home. So January 11th, 1981, um, th that Sunday, th uh, that week, dad, uh, dad took me up to my room and explained to me why I couldn't have communion. Mm. And that's because I hadn't had Jesus Christ come into my life. And so I knew everything about Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, I believed in Jesus and I, had, I came in a Christian family. Billy Graham's my grandfather. Frankly, Graham's my dad. Doesn't matter. I had to personally ask Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. And so I did that on January 11th, 1981. And that's when I gave my life to Christ. My dad led me to Christ. Uh, and I tell people uh, it was through communion. Now, communion didn't save me. No. Communion will never save you. But God used communion to save me. Oh. So uh, he used that 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 ceremony to lead me to Christ. And that's what I'm grateful for. Let's get into those earlier influences. So did you feel a call upon your life in any kind of super specific, more generic way or whatever as a, as a younger guy like your father? Or was it more like for his case, was it more over time? Because he obviously, you know, I think for many people, if they know your dad's story at all, he was a bit of a rebel there for a while. And you're probably saying in different ways he's a rebel now. But uh, and, and how were the early influences and awareness of those? I'm sure you could have gone either way. There could have been many blessings to growing up in a family you did or maybe things that held you back as far as, well, like, no, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm a gram. Well, it's um, I tell people, people, number one question, what does it feel like to be Billy Graham's grandson? All right. That's mm -hmm. the generic overall question that people ask me. And I tell people I've never known life different. Sure. I mean, I'm, 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 I'll, I was born Billy Graham's grandson. I'm going to die as Billy Graham's grandson. All right. And there's a, a lot of blessings that come with it. There are a few little curses that come with it. Um, but the blessings far outweigh the curses. Uh, and there's not that many curses. I mean, the biggest one is that you live in a fishbowl. Everybody's watching, even when you don't realize it. And uh, even when people know who you are, but you don't know them. Sure. Like, like at school. Uh, a great example was that um, when I was at seminary at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, right on the north side of town called Wake Forest. And uh, I was going to school there and people would come up to me, you know, months later, like, hey, you you know, I, I went looking for you on the first day. I saw you. I couldn't believe it was you because you were wearing flannel. You know, mm. <laughs> they thought I was going to be in a suit or something sure. like that. You know, I, I'm just a redneck boy. And uh, but so what I'm saying is uh, you live in a fishbowl. People are watching. Uh, which is, uh, it's not always fun, but sometimes it makes you make wise decisions because you don't want to be on the news that night. Sure. You know? So uh, so that's what I'm saying. There's cursings and blessings that come with that. And uh, very, very grateful for the life that God's given me. What are a couple of bigger blessings, or maybe it's, what are a couple of surprising blessings? That maybe uh, out of the box, things maybe people wouldn't naturally think about that's, uh, you know, blessing of being Billy's grandson and Franklin's son. Well, the, there's some, there's some wonderful blessings. One, it opens up a lot of doors for you. And uh, that's what I'm really grateful for. A lot of doors I've opened, things that I could not open up, God did, it, because of my name. I get people invite me to come and speak because I'm Billy Graham's grandson. They don't know me. They only do it because I'm Billy Graham's grandson. That's okay. They're just using me to have a big name speaker. If, if you call me a big name speaker, I'm not. 
but it gives me an opportunity to go proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So there's some good things that come from this. And that's, and that's one of them. And uh, same thing with my dad, you know, that people want Franklin Graham to come or they can't. So they asked me to come. So there's a, there's a lot of blessings that do come. Is it? I'm curious. One of the things that hit me, and I kind of remember thinking about it last night. I didn't script it out, if you will, but with spiritual warfare, is spiritual warfare something because of your bloodline you're more maybe naturally aware of and it's easy to kind of lean into it and know we're not doing battle here with, with flesh and blood? Or is it so ramped up, you're like, no, nothing prepares you for the spiritual warfare that's out there for you. You almost need a extra graduate level degree there. Well, I don't do I believe in spiritual warfare? You better believe it. And I've seen it taking place, you know, um, and we, I had to tell you one thing, the biggest thing that helps me is I got so many people praying people. Mm. I don't even know about, sure. you know, these are like, uh, these are donors and stuff like that. And so I tell them where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be preaching. And, you know, they'd be, they're praying for me and things like that. So I know I got a lot of people praying and that's what I believe that God answers those prayers, mm. but it's really nothing that I've done or that people do or that, uh, I've done myself. It's just God's protecting me. God's put his angels around me because people are praying. And that's why prayer is so important when it comes to evangelism, because there is spiritual warfare going on. And uh, that's why you need people praying. We need so many people praying uh, because Satan's attacks are real. And I just got to, I just got to keep preaching and moving forward, but I can because of what God's done for me and how many people are also praying for me. So I'm very grateful for all those people people I don't even know are praying for me. I'm very thankful for that. Well, and let people know. I mean, so we know more to the specifics. I mean, kind of touch on your own family life a little bit. And I know from what, what I last understood, uh, I think it was partly through you, but also through Eric, your roles kind of changed a little bit there within the BGEA. So maybe tell people a little bit about your your immediate family and kind of how your roles changing and where all you have your uh, hands in the, in the basket, so to speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, my role has changed. I used to be the executive director here at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, beautiful place, great ministry. It's kind of like the discipleship arm of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in the prettiest place. All right. Yeah. So it's, Amen it's to a that. great place. Great food uh, too. Let's don't forget that. Yeah. Great food, great lodging. I mean, just, it's a 1200 private acres right off the interstate and you don't even know you're when you come in, you don't even realize it because uh, the mountains almost block mm. away from the interstate. So it's just a beautiful place. And uh, but my dad wants me to take more of a leadership role at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So that's uh, so now I spend a little bit more time in Charlotte uh, down in the big city. That's what uh, us country boys, we're scared of the big city. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we go down to the big city of Charlotte, which is North Carolina's largest city. And and that's where our headquarters is. And that's where my granddaddy grew up. That's why we have our headquarters down there. It used to be in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then uh, a couple of years ago, a developer came and said, we want to buy all your property there in Minnesota. Would you be interested? And our property was pretty old and it was uh, not in great shape. And we said, yeah, <laughs> we're willing to sell it. And dad uh, talked to his dad, my granddad, and we talked about moving it down to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I spent a lot more time in Charlotte, North Carolina given overall oversight to BGA uh, along with our COO. And so he and I both kind of run it together. And, um, you know, th th my job, I tell people that's not my job though. All right. My job is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Right. And uh, I'm just trying to learn everything so that I can understand when people talk to me about certain things. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Let's do it that way or don't do it that way. I still got to be the preacher. I still got to go out and preach. That's what my granddaddy, my granddaddy ran BGA, but he was the preacher. 
he put other people that were smarter than him in mm. place to make this important decisions. And that's how I am. I believe that God's going to put good people around me. I believe in that. And I believe that God's going to give me the greatest people to put around me and they can help make some of those tough decisions. So I'm focused on preaching, but I still need to be able there to, in case one gets out of hand, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. Saying, no, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. Not that it's just using our gifts. Every person's got different spiritual gifts. I got a certain spiritual gifts and uh, that's to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I got other people that have gifts of administration and H, you know, human resources, HR and, you know, finance. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different people that are at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'm very grateful for them. And it takes a lot of us uh, to get things done. And so we got a lot of work ahead of us. And uh, I'm grateful for a good team behind me. How many people do you guys have employed there through in Charlotte? What do you guess? Yeah, it's going to be around 500. Oh, wow. So uh, whether all the vacancies are full or not, I don't know. But um, about around the 500. So it's quite a bit. It's a large organization. not as big as Samaritan's Purse anymore. But um, it's a... um, they got a lot more employees than we do, but uh, it, it it takes a lot. A lot of people working in creative services and internet things and IT. Uh, IT getting bigger and bigger every year just because oh, sure. of everything we got is turning into electronics. So uh, takes more people that, and, and especially with the the way we have cyber attacks now. So we got to have a real robust team that fights wow. off attacks all the time because people are trying to do some bad things on our website. So we're just trying to be very vigilant in that area. Well, it's interesting, as you mentioned, uh, Samaritan's Purse, which is a great ministry. Our church is very involved in Operation Christmas Child. We have a couple who I love dearly. They're great. Some some of the people I'm closest to who champion that. And in, in, I'm in Bell Fountain, Ohio, taping this, but in Xenia, a little bit closer to where I am, not too far from here, actually, they have a little office there uh, on the campus of Athletes in Action tied to Samaritan's Purse. So... Tell me a little bit more. We didn't get quite into your immediate family. Talk about kids. Oh, that's right. My immediate yeah, family. Your wife, yeah, my wife and I, her name's Kendra. We met at Liberty University. We've been married uh, over 25 years. Uh, about to go into 26 here pretty soon. And so, um, and her birthday's coming up. Uh, I just had mine. I turned 49 just the other day and she'll turn, she'll be a little bit older than me. <laughs> Wish uh, people could see that. She's a, she's a lovely lady. She's an incredible Bible teacher. Mm. And uh, she's been she's been teaching the women that come to the cove uh, on in Jeremiah, and she's been doing a phenomenal job there. She's an incredible Bible teacher, uh, very passionate, very knowledgeable. Uh, she she pours her whole heart into this, and it's uh, it's evident. And so um, I have three children. So uh, CJ is my oldest, Christine Jane. She's named after her two grandmothers. We figured we'll get more out of the grandmothers if we name them. That's right for them. So that's what we did. And so CJ's, uh, she's in her graduate studies at the Utah Valley University. Oh, wow. And so she's doing her graduate work there in nursing. She's a nurse. She does a great job. She's also their starting goalkeeper. Oh, and, there you uh, go. She's a great, great lady. And uh, she's learning how to live her faith out in the middle of, you know, living in a place that's, that's not Christian. It's, it's a Latter-day sure. Saints area. And so it's just causing her to know what she knows and why she knows it. Sure. And then I have a daughter named Rachel. Now she's dyslexic and mm. uh, she's had a learning disability. Uh, we've worked real hard to help her in that. And uh, God's really done a great work in her life. And uh, now she's, she's finishing a school. She's finishing Liberty university a year early to oh, become wow. a teacher. Okay. And so 
that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm real blessed. I got some great, great, great kids. I got one more. He's a son. He's William Franklin Graham. Five. five. That's okay. That's what so I'm, I'm the fourth. Yep. And P, I, I, I know people right now, they're saying, all right, well, if he's the fifth, you know, four, I'm the fourth. Franklin Graham's the third. Billy's a junior. Okay. A lot of people don't realize that Billy's a junior. Anyway, so I have a son named Quinn. He's William Franklin Graham the fifth. Uh, he just got accepted into computer engineering at North Carolina State University. Oh, go Wolfpack. Uh, so we're really excited about that. So he starts that. So my wife and I will start a new chapter in our life, which is going to be empty nesters. Yeah. And so that's what uh, one of the things that we're going to be dealing with in the years to come is just how to, you know, we're not going to have our kids around as much as, as we used to. So that's going to be a new chapter in our life. Well, it's funny. I'm a few years older than you, but you're hitting some of that stuff sooner than me. Cause I got a little bit younger kids than yours. I got four, but uh, yeah, I'll have to let you disciple me and what that's like empty nesting and pouring into adult kids. Since I still have two at the house and one in college and one living on his own right now. So, well, it's a lot of fun. I've, I mean, I got, I have good kids. Like I'm very proud of my kids. They've worked hard. They've done very well in school. My middle one, like I said, she's worked hard to come over dyslexia. So that's a, that's not an easy feat, and she's done a great job. Well, give us go back to your grandfather, son. Give us a fond memory of your grandfather. Maybe something very unique, or maybe even very simple, but a great memory, you know, in your life and your relationship with him. And then maybe how has his legacy, if you will, and I know that word can be either very uh, something we embrace or it's something we're almost a little turned off by because it almost becomes about us versus about God. But what's something about his legacy as well that's inspired you? Well, I'll talk about his legacy first. You know, um, it was never about Billy Graham. It was never, ever, ever about Billy Graham. And uh, my grandfather is literally the most humble person anybody would have ever met. He was so famous, had presidents wanting to talk to him, mm-hmm. world leaders wanting to talk to him, movie stars wanting to talk to him. I, I'm into, I like watching old TV shows, you know, that I kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. One of them was the Fall Guy. Oh, yeah. Lee Majors. That's Lee Majors. Lee Majors, right? And so I was mentioning that to one of our our guys on uh, that worked for my granddaddy. I said, you know, I'm just, I, I just started watching Fall Guy again. I forgot. I mean, I forgot half that stuff. I couldn't believe how what TV used to be like. And I was like, man, I thought that was so cool. Now you look back and it's like, man, the writing's not real good. <laughs> the acting's <laughs> yeah. not all that good. Sure. But, um, uh, but Lee Majors, he goes, you know, Lee Majors came to see your granddaddy while we were down in Florida one time. He had a house in right next door to where we were staying in a hotel no way. and he came over and wanted to meet with your granddad. <laughs> you know, so it's wow. like, you can't make this stuff up. So you had everybody want to meet my granddaddy, but it was never about Billy Graham. It was yeah. always about the Lord Jesus Christ, what God can do in someone's life, whether it was Lee majors or anybody else for that matter, it was about God. So that's the, to his, my, when I talk about his legacy, that's the greatest thing I can see is that it was never about him. It was always about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the next thing, I, um, uh, memory wise, um, I don't know. I got, I got a lot of, you know, just so many memories, but I think some of my greatest memories, we never talk shop. Everyone wants to know, did you talk shop like sermon illustrations, any point? No, we never talk mm. like that. Uh, this is the grandfather talking to his grandson. That's what we always talked about. We talked about family life, you know, Will, where are you preaching? 
you know, where did you just come from? Tell me what's going on. Tell, uh, oh, you're going to be going to such and such city. Tell them I said, hello, tell them, uh, I love that city. It's a great place. Got wonderful members there. Please tell the people there. I said, hello. He said, probably no one remembers me because it's been so long mm. and I'm so old. I'm about dead, you know? So, uh, he had a good sense of humor, but, uh, just just having conversations with them, just as grandfather and grandson. I remember the day um, Merv Griffin died. Oh, wow. Merv Griffin. So this is the guy, for those who do not know, Merv Griffin owned um, Beverly Hills Hilton. And uh, he owned that. And uh, he and my granddaddy were good friends. And I remember the day he died. I didn't know this. But the day that he died, I was at my granddaddy's house. And we were watching. I remember my granddaddy looking intently and watching the story, you know, talking about Merv Griffin dying, you know, a famous person in Hollywood has died. And so I just said to him, Daddy Bill, I call him Daddy Bill. I said, Daddy Bill, did you did you know Merv Griffin? He goes, Oh yeah, he and I were real good friends. Shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have been surprised. Mm -hmm. And um, so I could see it now then I understood why he was so focused on the story, because this is one the death of his friend. And he had a he had so many people like that in his life. And um he said, did you know, he asked me to take over his show one day, the Merv Griffin the show. The talk show? Yeah. Wow. And he said, uh, I said, no. Uh, I said, uh, I said, I didn't know that. I said, uh, did you do it? And he gave me that look like, that's a stupid question. <laughs> you know, like he had that look like that was a dumb question. And he goes, no, no, of course not. And so I'm really? sorry, I was like, well, why not? Yeah. He goes, because I'm not funny. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like duh, yeah. I'm not funny. You know, and so it's just, I remember that day intently um, for some reason. That's always left a mark in my life. And that was toward the end of his life, you know. Well, I mean, you can go back and look at the day Merv Griffin died. That's the date of the conversation. Wow. So it was, um, but he had, that's when my granddaddy, when he would go to California and stay, he would often stay at the Beverly Hills Hilton. You know, because of his friend Merv Griffin, wow. and uh, he owned it, and Merv Griffin always put him up for it. You know, um, they were always good friends, and so yeah. it, it's just amazing how many friends my granddaddy had. had I, I had can't in imagine. I can't imagine the people he could tell you stories about like that. Of course, it's funny, Will, as you mentioned Lee Majors and you mentioned Fall Guy. I was obsessed with a six million dollar man. So you're saying yeah. Fall Guy? I'm like, nah, nah. Lee Majors was a six million dollar man, and we will That's rebuild right. it. We will make him bigger or better, faster, strong. I mean, we we actually used that soundbite and the video from that. It's about thirty seconds. You can find it on YouTube to talk about the gathering one time at an outreach breakfast. I, I still well, stole his thing. There, there are some really good old stuff like that. Oh, that yeah. uh, I have vague memories of, but it's fun to kind of go back and watch like, wow, we really watched this? this is me. <laughs> you know? so yeah, some of those things don't date too well, do they? They're a lot cleaner back then. Sure. Some of it. No doubt. Well, tell us, I want you to sell people a little bit more on the Cove since people that know me know I love the Cove. I think I will be there for my sixth trip. May 29th through 31st, when Pastor Mark Batterson is there, who's previous guest on this podcast. So tell people about the Cove, the food, the experience, your aunt will be sharing. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's some super cool stuff about the Cove. Yeah, the Cove, Cove is, um, it was founded, my grandparents wanted it, because my granddaddy's work, he had to do a lot of speaking at other conference centers. And he 
he noticed that there was something always common in them, and that's uh, all these Christian conference senators. Now, I'm making a very broad statement, you know, but he went to a lot of these places, especially in the 30s and the 40s and things like that, 50s, and uh, they were run down. They were dilapidated. The food was not good at all. It was cheap. Uh, the preaching was great. You would have great Christian speakers there, but he just he hated staying at them. And especially when you had friends like Merv Griffin that sure. owned Beverly Hills Hills. You right. rather stay there. You are getting spoiled a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And so um so he wanted he wanted to build a place that taught God's word and then uh had good food. And that was kind of the premise behind the code that would have great biblical teaching. Yep. He believed that that was the answer that was needed for the problems of the world today, that people need to understand the Bible better. And when they understood the Bible and could read the Bible and study the Bible, then God would teach them on how to do, what to do, the decision they had to make in whatever circumstance they found themselves in, you know, even 50 years later. And so he and my grandmother kind of came up with this place called uh, that they wanted to do, but they needed to help find the land. And so uh, it was Billy's brother. Mm. His name was Melvin that would help find the cove, the property. He was actually looking for some property for himself to invest in. Oh, wow. And he happened to fly over the cove. He had rented an airplane, small little airplane for the day and flew out in the mountains of Western North Carolina and Georgia and South Carolina to look at some property. But when he was flying over, he noticed that they were putting Interstate 40 in. Mm. And they still had not finished Interstate oh, wow. 40 at the time. Okay. And so he was flying over and they saw they put an intersection. So he would land at the airport and get a car and go there and say, you know, what's going in over here? I see you got an intersection. What's you know, There's nothing out here. Where are you going to put? And the guy goes, I don't know why they maybe put an intersection here. There's nothing out here. There's no town. There's nothing. And lo and behold, that would become the entrance of the cove right there. Wow. And so he saw this big piece of property right behind it with nothing on it. And so he talked to my granddaddy. It was right down the road from my granddaddy. And he went and looked at it and they decided to buy it. And but they they used up all the money. The ministry used up all its extra money to to get that piece of property. And it was a few years later that they would get a man named Jerry Miller. Jerry Miller is ninety five years old. Uh, he's still alive. I had dinner with him last night. He took me out for my birthday. Oh wow! And uh, he he was chosen to help start the cove on the behalf of my grandmother and my grandfather. And so it's, it's a, it's a, he built the first buildings, the ends, the uh, meeting space, the dining room, he built all that. And uh, he helped start the ministry for my grandparents. And he's a wonderful man. Uh, but the Cove, you got great food. That's what my granddaddy wanted. He wanted nice rooms, you know, high quality rooms. And so, and good meeting spaces. And then the primary thing are good teachers oh so not we just don't allow just anybody to come in here and i've had to tell some people they're not coming back you know and because wow. we want to honor god's word we're not here to sell speakers books sometimes a speaker will get up and say well just get my book and you'll have all the answers uh no you're not coming back mm. this is about god's word and uh you can sell we'll, we'll sell your books for you but you're not going to try to push your books if you push your books i'm not going to have you here yeah uh, this is about honoring god and teaching god's word to people and so that's what this place is about with good food good speakers good accommodations and it's on 1200 wooded area it's beautiful up in the mountains of the appalachian mountains and i tell people billy and ruth graham couldn't invite everybody to their house it's just, i mean it's just too small i mean uh, you can't get that many people there right so the code kind of became an extension of their home. Hmm. And this is where people come and study good teaching, just like that they would have their, from their friends. 
Billy and Ruth Graham's friends, you know, they're different preachers they knew. They would come and speak to all these people at the Cove and did such a wonderful job. And we continue that today. So uh, it's got to be biblical teaching. We don't teach on, if it doesn't come from the Bible, that's our only textbook. That's the one there textbook, the Bible. Yeah. And if you don't teach it, you don't come back. Well, so, uh, you know, I, I'm blessed because I've been there and I think everybody I've heard, you've continually had back. So I've been there for Bob Russell. I've been there twice for Albert Moeller. I've been there for James Brown and Tony Dungy. Have a relationship still to this day with uh, James Brown. We text often, somewhat similar to Bob Russell. And then this year I'll be back for the second time with Mark Batterson. So, you know, the food, I tell people, I mean, whatever they think they think the food could be, it's better. I just went to Chick-fil-A's place while my blanket on it, Windshape down in Georgia. Yeah. And there's some similarities between the Cove and a Windshape food and whatnot. But uh, you guys do things there. So actually the bookstore help. I mean, you name it, that soft serve ice cream, you know, those breakfasts. I mean, everything you guys are doing there is so ridiculously good. So I, about 80 or 90% of the time on this podcast, I do this next thing called the rapid five. And I told myself before I got on here, no matter what you and I talk about on this script, we go where Holy Spirit leads, but we are not skipping the rapid five. I want okay. to know your answers to these well, questions. So they're quick and they're heavy hitting. You ready? Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal, Will? Um, popcorn. Oh, or just plain popcorn? Or, or peanut or like peanut M&M. Oh, like there we go. Okay. I'm with you on a peanut M&M. Let's okay. go with that one. What is your favorite book outside of the Bible you most like to gift to other people? What's a book that has had an impact on your life? And you're like, if I could give any book out to people, this is the book I would want to give them. I, I got two. They okay. give out about equal amounts. That's why. Uh, one is uh, Robert Morgan's book, Red Sea Rules. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. It's this small little mm -hmm. book. It, it is Excellent. Probably one of the best books I've read. And then one of my most fascinating books I like, it's one of the greatest reads, is um, Unbroken. Oh. This is the story of Louis Zamperini mm -hmm. by, by Laura Hildenbrand. Made and, into a movie. Uh, it's an incredible book, made into a movie. And uh, it's an incredible account of a real World War II hero wow. that gave his life to Christ at my granddad's crusade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so there's a little bit of a personal element to that, but it's an incredible story of redemption. To the whole story and it wasn't written that way she just wrote it as a book but you'll see an incredible story of redemption to it because it is a true story his name is louis zamperini yeah. the brooks the book's called unbroken and then robert morgan's book is called um red sea rules i need to read the robert morgan one. i've seen that a number of times my wife read unbroken loved it and as i said that about the movie it's actually been made in a movie twice like the first time it either didn't go so well or it was a little bit more of a lower budget and then somebody got it and it came out probably a couple of years because there's actually been two versions of that movie in the last what five six seven years yeah they had two movies the first one was uh done by the same producer two different then they would have two different um uh, directors and uh um the, the second one focuses on louis conversion okay that's what it so second on, so really okay. interesting so let's say this was a several years back when your your kids were all in the house and still a little bit on the younger side let's say you guys were hit, heading south or you were heading west maybe even my direction towards ohio and uh you guys were going on, on vacation or somewhere and you needed to stop to get a bite to eat and you got surprised you didn't know where you were going and you see on the exit sign, you've traveled enough. I'm sure you've hit all of these places. You see McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, which are obvious ones, and In-N-Out Burger. Where would you take your family? Well, if we had an In-N-Out Burger, that's where we'd go because we're East Coast people. We don't we don't have them 
on yep. the East Coast. Texas is our closest one. And so I would take my kids to uh, In-N-Out. Yep. You know, it's funny. I'm amazed sometimes how many people will talk about Chick-fil-A because they'll talk about Christian business principles and they forget oh. the same thing about In-N-Out Burger as well. In-N-Out has is, is been, yes. And they've been very strong. You know, they're huge supporters of Greg Laurie and um and his crusade ministry and stuff like that and they, they've helped fund that and uh they do an incredible job very good people and uh their daughter now runs it and uh, she's done an incredible job very cool well what's a movie that every time if you were to stumble upon it it would suck you in what's a movie that just hits you every time i'm a sucker for war movies i had a feeling uh, about that. any war movie i it, it probably don't matter kelly kelly's heroes that's an old um, Clint Eastwood movie, um, all made up, but, uh, longest day. That was probably one of my favorite oh, longest day. Okay. It had a whole bunch of big heroes, uh, big name actors in it. And it's, I like true war movies. I love the real stories. Okay. Well, since we're about, we're close in age, I'm a little bit older than you, but like you bring up all these old school movies, TV shows, whatever. Who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, well, <laughs> are we supposed to say this online? Yeah, you are. <laughs> Catherine Bach. Catherine. Bob, oh, Duke's Bob. a hazard. Duke's a hazard. Daisy Duke. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Is that fair to say, do you feel like you have an old soul? You seem very old soulish to me. Uh, I am. I mean, I'm a very, um, I mean, I had a great childhood. So maybe that's why, cause I mean, I just had such great memories from my childhood, you know, and we couldn't watch TV, like TV, like it was a privilege to watch TV. Like mm -hmm. we just, like we, we had to go outside and play. We couldn't stay inside and watch yeah. TV. Mom and dad, it didn't matter if it was raining. We had to go sit in the rain and think of something to do. So we played in the barn a lot and stuff like that. But we were always outside. So to watch TV was rare. And so we had to be good all week, all week. If yep. we were good all week, we could stay up late on Friday night from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock <laughs> to watch our favorite TV show, Dukes of Hazard. There you go. And I remember this one time we had misbehaved. And so we had to wait 10 days because we messed up that week. So we had to start all over. Oh, wow. It was about 10 days later. And it said, all right, we've been good. I mean, we've been, I got, I had two other brothers. We fought all the time. So it was real hard for us to be good. And then all of a sudden it said, all right, eight o'clock comes up. Dukes of Hazard comes on or about to come on. It said tonight, a regular scheduled <laughs> program will not be seen tonight. A Billy Graham special. Oh, no like, way. Oh, this stinks. So I'm going to bed. <laughs> I had lunch with him yesterday. I don't want to see him again. Yeah, that's, I always tell people that's about childhood. You know, what's funny. I tell people all the time. My favorite moment ever in this podcast was Clark Kellogg. When I interviewed him, who I've said should be a speaker at the Cove CBS college basketball analyst. He got mm -hmm. super excited about that Chick-fil-A question. Forget that. That just got bumped by you talking about missing the Dukes of Hazard because missing of a Dukes Billy Graham crusade. My granddaddy is like the worst night of my life. <laughs> that is so funny to me. So next time I see you, if you're there in May, when I come for Mark Batterson, I'm going to greet you by, I'm, I'm hoping you don't see me coming and I'm going to walk up to you and just say, just the good old boys. Always. That's a way in Jennings. I'm going to greet you. I'm going to greet you with that. So let me ask you this. So there's been a lot of books that your grandfather wrote. I don't, how many did he write? Do you have any idea? A ridiculous. No, I have no idea. And there's a bunch. I'm written looking at him over there. I'm, I'm looking at him over there on the shelf. There's a, I a got bunch. about two, two full books or two full shelves full of them. And, and books written about him. If you were to write a yeah. book about your grandfather, what would you bring to the table in literary land that has not been established about him? Like what, what would your take be that's different from everybody else's? 
Oh, there's a couple of things I like to speak on concerning my granddaddy. And I probably focus, if I wrote a book, that'd be on those, on that topic, which are kind of like the, the four most important decisions of my granddad's life. Okay. And, um, for my grandfather, 1948 to 1952, those four years Ooh. would become the most pivotal years of his ministry. And, uh, you know, that's when he would get married. Well, he got, he was just finishing up a pastorate, started preaching. He just got married a couple of years before that, but he became the college president, the youngest college president in U.S. history. Oh, wow. And that's at Northwestern schools up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, not, not to be confused with Northwestern University, mm -hmm. different, different school, but he became the youngest president at the age of 30. He was a college president at age of 30. So most of these students were, were not almost his age, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of the people that were going to school, but it was those four years that would be transformational in his life. He would make some of the most important decisions during those four years. And so uh, it'd probably be focusing uh, on those four big decisions that he made. So, Will, as you say that, that resonates with me in such a way that it's like, that does sound like that should be a book. Have you thought about writing that? Well, if you knew me, you'd know how bad of a writer I am. Well, so, you um, ghostwriter, co-writer. I mean, let's go. That's why I need Eric Ogren. That's there you go. Listening hey. to this. Uh, he, I need his help to come and help me do it. I want to speak about Eric for a second. So here's something I want people to know about you. When I sent out the script that Eric gets it, he said to me back in a reply about how does this look? He said, Jeff, you can't talk enough about Billy Graham. Will loves mm -hmm. talking about his grandfather. He said, just know I that do. as you pro which that really said a lot to me that Eric said that about you, that you love talking about your grandfather. Well, he, he, Eric knows me pretty well. He's heard about every story I've ever said. And once or twice a year, he might hear a new story. And, um, but, uh, Eric's a, a wonderful friend and uh, he's a good teammate and, uh, he just helps me deal with, you know, with interviews mm -hmm. like what we're doing right now. This is a podcast, but, you know, just helps, uh, get things lined up, signed sure. up, all that information to me. And so, uh, it's, it, it's huge to help my friends. I can't do ministry by myself. Sure. That puts me a great, great team. My granddaddy couldn't do it. Yeah. And so he had to have a good team around him. And so I'm grateful for a good team. And, uh, Eric is just one of those great team members. Give us a glimpse into your life, Will, as far as you and God's word. What does it look like, whether that's daily, whether that's annually? How do you go about abiding in Scripture? Give us some practicalities so people can learn from you about what can they take from your life as far as applying God's word. Well, I've, I've read through the Bible a few times, all the way through. I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm actually listening through mm. God's word. And it takes on a whole new a whole new thing. Cause I, I got to drive to Charlotte. That's just two hours and drive two hours back. So I got like four hours. I can just sit there and I can soak in God's word and hear it. Mm. And it's interesting as it, because uh, like, I know the stories cause I've read these stories and I've studied and I've preached these stories, but when you hear it, it's interesting because like, I know what, the, I know what the next line is, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I start to weep. Like I remember wow. one, it was talking about Judas. It was in the book of John. And, it, and Jesus said, you know, go do what it's time to do, you know, what, go yep. do it. And he said, and it said, Judas got up Walked and it was himself. night. Mm -hmm. It was dark. You know, it was night. It was just interesting because that's a backslidden Christian. There's is as so true. It is totally dark in their life. And, uh, but I remember my granddaddy preaching on it. So when it comes, when I'm listening to it, it's like, here goes my granddad's sermon on this. Wow. You know, I'm, Anyway, God just brings certain things. I mean, I get, I, I'll hear it and I'll just start to weep 
And uh, like, a, like I, 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 I'm a weeper. I'm a weeper. All right. I'm a, I'm a crybaby. And so one of the things I'll, I'll start to weep about, and it's when John the Baptist was in prison and he said, uh, he sent his, he sent word to Jesus through his disciples and said, are you the one? <laughs> like, are we waiting for you or for somebody else? Like I'm in prison. I don't know what's going on. Are you the one? And Jesus said, go tell John what you've seen and heard. Uh, the blind man can see, uh, the lame can walk, and the good news is reached to the poor. And uh, that's all that John needed to hear. Wow. You know, I, I don't know, for some reason, I get emotional at that. Now, here's John, John the Baptist. Jesus yeah. said there's no one born of woman greater than John the Baptist. All right. Think about that. Of all that's the people huge. born in this world, John the Baptist, bing, number one. That's Jesus's. That's Jesus' recommendation. John the Baptist is number one in the sense of born of woman. And so that's what, and so here's Jesus, even John the Baptist was struggling. And Jesus said, just go tell John what you've seen and heard. And it's just that simple news. That's all John needed, even though he's in prison, that encouraged him. You know, and it's just, I get emotional thinking about it. You, oh, you, sure. You know, I'm, not, I'm not sure this is being televised or not or shown, but. I got about tears coming in my eyes because of just think about that stuff. So I'm hearing these stories, not just reading it, but I'm hearing it. And so uh, that's something new. The other thing that I do that keeps me sharp in God's word is I teach it mm -hmm. every week. I, I go, I shouldn't say every week. I try to do it every week. Sometimes I'm traveling, doing a crusade somewhere else. So I can't do it. Sure. Um, but what I try to do is uh, teach God's word. And it keeps me sharp and studying in God's word. So when I teach it, do devotions for our team and staff, it's great. I've been going through first and second Samuel. I've been doing that for about 14 years now. I'm still in second Samuel. Wow. So I, mean, I go word by word. And, uh, you know, sometimes I may be gone a month. So it'd be the, you know, it may be, I, that's why it's taken so long, but I just go by verse. I just go word by word. And if I only get through 10 words, good. I'll pick up on word number 11. You know, I mean, wow. it's really nice because I know exactly where I am and I keep going. I'm going to be doing that this week down in Charlotte. Uh, well, next week, uh, next week down in Charlotte, I'll be continuing it. So getting close to the very end. And after that, I'll probably start Revelation. I think wow. I'll be doing Revelation next. It's funny when you were talking about, and John, about Judas and it becoming night. I'm in BSF this year and we just did that Monday night in our BSF class. We were talking about that in uh, John 13. So you know, I think for a lot of us, if, we, if we're really trying to passionately follow Jesus and walk with the Lord, we think about family, we think about, I mentioned Mark Batterson, he talks about the people that love us most and respect us most should be those closest to us. I'm sure for the Graham family, the next generation, whoever that is, the future generations mean something. Do you feel like your grandfather would be smiling upon how that's played out in you guys' lives from your kids to you and Edward's siblings? To your dad, have you guys done well with that? Would you say, in a way that would be kind of a First Corinthians eleven one, follow the example of the Grams? Well, and I know that we're sinners and we have a lot of shortcomings in our family, <laughs> and that's true for every family, right? Amen. And because um, we we know we know our own sins, even whether we want to admit them or not. And so, I will say this: my grandfather was the eternal optimist. He saw the best in everybody even to his detriment sometimes, you know, uh, people would betray him and stuff like that. Like, don't trust that guy. And he'd trust him anyway and get burned or something like mm. that. But um, he was always the eternal optimist. So I think, I would think he would be extremely proud and happy to see what's going on and to see that the ministry continues. 
but I also, I know, and he knows that we all have our shortcomings and God still uses us mm. in spite of our shortcomings. Mm. And uh, cause God, it's God's work. God continues to do it. And God uses broken people like Will Graham and like so many other people and just to uh, use them as long as we put our trust and faith in him and surrender everything, surrender our faults, surrender our victories, all that's the Lord's, let him deal with it and he'll direct our paths and make them straight. And I'm so grateful for that. So I think my granddaddy would be, if you want to use the word proud in a sense, you know, sure. proud of others, it's not pride to be proud of others. Mm -hmm. If you're proud of yourself, that's pride. But, um, to be proud of others is not a problem. And, uh, he, um, I think he, I think he would, um, not, not because I've done anything great, but I think he's just, he's great to see another generation to continue to proclaim the good news. Of Amen. Well, let's close with this. If people were to think you were to hit their radar after they hear this podcast, they wanted to pray for you on a regular basis. What would be the number one prayer point you would ask for people to pray for you about? Pray for wisdom that I make wise decisions. And, uh, you know, and that's true for my granddad's generation and for me too. We all have our issues that we got to deal with in life, within Christianity and outside of Christianity. Um, you know, the even inside our own house, the church per se, even in our own house, we have tough decisions to make and sure. stuff like that. And I need wisdom and um, some tough decisions. I want to be bold for Christ. And that's my biggest, I want to be bold because I believe in the days to come, it's going to be, you got to be bold for Christ. There's not going to be time for weak Christians. It's it's you're going to have to be bold, and it may cost you your life. Sure. And uh, I'm not worried about dying. <laughs> I'm just about to. What I want to do, I want to finish well in life. Amen. And I I want to be running to the finish line. Wow. And, and I may may die across the finishing line. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I got eternity to be with Jesus. I just want to finish well. I want to be bold. And this world's going to squeeze and try to push me and and threaten me not to tell the truth but I want always uh, to proclaim the good truth of Jesus Christ. You know, something you said there that really strikes a chord with me. I tell people all the time, if, if I've seen it over and over, especially with men, since that's where I spend most of my time is in the world of connecting men to men and men to God. I think two things I see over and over and over and over from mature followers of Jesus, they greatly desire wisdom and glorifying God means everything. And uh, I feel like both those are marks of yours. And you brought up the wisdom thing for a prayer point. Well, let me just say, this has been a treat. There's been so much good that you've c contributed to this conversation, but knowing your grandfather messed you up one time and you got to, you had to miss Dukes of Hazard, that's going to stick with me for a long time. I'm going to be repeating that story well, to some friends today. <laughs> well, like you go back and look at it now, and it's like, man, why didn't you watch this stuff? But um, back then, we we jump in that car. Hey, we thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I had the General Lee car, and I had two of the I had the Bo and Luke Duke action figures. So I'm right there well, with they had you. Wireless. Remember, they had. I mean, they didn't have iPhones. They had wireless radios. I mean, this is that was. I thought that was cool. You could speak and hear it in another car. I, I like that. Well, Never in our generation, that. everybody wanted to slide across like they did in that intro video across that orange hood. No <laughs> doubt. Well, I tried a few times. It didn't work out. <laughs> we all want Dodge That's Chargers, right. too. That's right. Well, hopefully you and I will cross paths uh, last weekend in March when uh, I'll be down there at the Cove, and I hope to see you, and I'm going to come up to you and sing a little Waylon Jennings to you. No, that sounds good, buddy. Well, you take care, and God bless. All right. Blessings. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.